we've got Colin um, coming to speak to us this morning, and uh, so I just want to introduce Colin to you. Um, not everyone will know Colin Barron, um, but he um, gives us apostolic oversight to our church and lots of churches in our region, and uh, we're privileged to have him come and speak to us this morning. And I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thank you that you've brought Colin to us this morning and that he's come here safely. And I want to pray, Lord, that as he speaks, that we would hear your word to us as a church. Lord, would you be in every word that he says, that we might hear clearly from you the things that you want to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, it's good to be here. I think you've been, or I understand you've been doing a series on the kingdom of God uh, over these last months. I want to bring you an aspect of the kingdom of God which probably is little preached on and little thought about. So um, once we get some slides up there. Food, a taste of heaven, okay? And um, it's my persuasion that um, actually... When we look at the whole thing of food, eating, drinking, we'll get to understand that actually it's not just something that we need to do to uh, live, but actually it's something of the kingdom of heaven about it. And I want to elevate hospitality, I want to elevate eating and drinking together to something that actually I feel God, from God's perspective. And um, I know in our church in... Um, Manchester, we um, really try hard on hospitality for people who come in. We make sure everything is good. We want to make sure that when we gather together, it's like when we are at home, okay? Because there's something about the kingdom of God um, kind of understood in the whole realm of hospitality and being with one another. So that's my kind of goal over these next 30 minutes, uh, to uh, lift and elevate something that can sometimes feel quite mundane. I get told this quite regularly, and it totally annoys me. So um, uh, if that happened just two or three weeks ago, someone said to me, people turn up to prayer meetings. In fact, this was a youth leader. He said, people turn up to our youth group every time we put pizzas on. And it was a, a negative, actually, expression. Basically, they'll only turn up with food. I've made the statement in our church many times that I'll only turn up to a meeting if there is food. And so every time someone says that, I feel like it's a total get at me, okay? And um, so have you thought about it? I mean, there's a verse here in uh, Luke, which we'll look at in a bit. Um, Here's a man who's sitting with Jesus. He says this, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Here's, here's a guy with Jesus, and he's getting a revelation of something uh, in the last days. And he kind of just blurts it out that, Jesus, what a great thing it's going to be, okay? And I uh, feel that. In the uh, Bible, it's obviously written in a Mediterranean context, and so a lot of the food obviously comes out of that context, okay? Uh, I just thought to myself as I was preparing this, wonder what would happen if Jesus was an Indonesian, okay? And uh, just basically, that's the sort of stuff that you would actually have in the Bible, okay? Uh, or what if he came from Hungary? Maybe that's the sort of thing that actually, it wouldn't be vines and um, pomegranates and uh, whatever, Ecuador, 
from, I'd, I'd love to go to South America. It's one of my, to do the Inca Trail actually is one of my absolute uh, things I want to do before I die. But uh, actually that's not a bad meal, is it? Is it kind of feeling like you'd like to travel a little bit? I travel a lot and so I enjoy food. And Spain, that's a bit more easier for us to get to. But um, all I'm trying to say is this, that when we look at the Bible and, and hear and read some of the food that's mentioned, obviously it's mentioned from the culture that it's written in, but fundamentally all over the world. We have some great cultures as Jesus' uh, uh, gospel goes wide. And so uh, yeah, these are the sort of things that would uh, come out. So let's just look at a verse from Isaiah, Isaiah um, verse 6. It says this, On this mountain the Lord of heaven's army will spread a wonderful feast for all the peoples of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine. I used to make homemade wine. I understand what not clear wine <laughs> <laughs> is um, uh, clear, um, uh, I don't know where I've got to, let me say, oh yeah, clear, well-aged, well, a choice meat, and there he will remove the cloud, the gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. So here in this picture of the last days, Isaiah has two kind of pictures. One is that death will be swallowed up, that there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more abuse. And actually in its place will be this fabulous banquet that the Lord is preparing for us. It's like something will be removed and something glorious will be in its place. And uh, it's going to be this great Wedding banquet. Have you ever thought that God is preparing something like that for you? I mean, when Jesus rose from the dead and met Peter, you know what he did? He prepared his breakfast for him. A little foretaste of the massive wedding breakfast of the Lamb when every one of us who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, is going to sit down with it. It won't be some fish. <laughs> it will be fabulous. It will be from every tongue and every nation. Wouldn't it be great? So that is the picture that Isaiah is um, speaking here. And so often I think you can read something like that almost like kind of it's um, an illustration, you know, a, a, a metaphor or not real. But I honestly believe that it's going to be real even when Jesus rose from the dead. One of the ways that his disciples understood that it was him because he broke bread and had breakfast with them. And it's like when he broke bread, <laughs> the, he kind of... Scales of their eyes kind of went and they realized this is the Lord. This is Jesus. So when Jesus came to this earth, he brought some of the kingdom of God to earth. It says this, the kingdom of God is near. That was his opening statement. And I'm sure that as you've been preached about over these last and taught over these last few weeks and months, you'd have heard about healings and miracles and demons coming out and all sorts of other aspects of the kingdom. But I want to bring you that when Jesus came, another aspect of the kingdom was how he ate and drank with one another. Okay. And uh, so, um, so even when we look at that uh, verse in Isaiah um, about the uh, last days, uh, we see that when Jesus walked this earth, he brought some of that into reality. Just like when he healed the sick, 
He brought some of the non-sickness of heaven, if I can use that, uh, uh, that, that way, or the non-death in heaven as he raised the dead. You know, he, 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 every time he did something, it was a, sh- a, a shadow of the thing to come. It was a foretaste of the thing to come. Well, exactly the same is true of this great wedding banquet, this great hospitable God <laughs> who actually is even now thinking about preparing that fabulous banquet as we meet him. And so in John 2, we, we see Jesus go into a wedding, actually, and he goes with his mum, he goes with his disciples, and uh, horror of horrors, the wine runs out. And I mean, these weddings go on for days and days and days. So, you know, it was, and it was just a, a terrible thing for the food or wine, especially in that culture. Uh, to run out. We have many Indians, many uh, um, Sri Lankans and people from a nation background in Manchester and some of our church. And when you go to their weddings, it really they, they provide for everybody. I was talking to one couple who've just joined us and uh, not a very well-off couple. And they were telling us in their, in their, I said, how many people did you have your wedding in, uh, in India? They said, I think a thousand. I said, did you take, send a thousand invites? I said, oh no, you don't do that. It's basically whoever wants to come, comes and we provide uh, for them. And that's what it was like here. There was this great wedding. All, everything runs out. It's uh, in John 2.9. And, and Jesus' mum gets to hear about it. And actually says, my son can do something about this. And Jesus actually kind of was reluctant to. But in the end, persuaded. And um, it says this, that as he sent the servants out and says, now take those jars of water or get some water in those jars. As they came back, he did this amazing miracle and turned water into wine. And uh, says this, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that had turned to wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course his servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he says, a host always serves the best first. And when everybody has a lot to drink, he, uh, you understand this, he's just getting a little bit kind of, he doesn't matter what you're drinking after a little bit. He brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best till now. And it says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The kingdom. It's come the first time the kingdom has come was in this turning water into wine. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, what, you know, you'd have thought he'd have shown his glory in a deliverance. You'd have thought he'd have shown his glory in a great teaching session. You would have thought he'd have shown his glory as he healed somebody. But actually, John says this, the first time he revealed his glory is in this amazing thing of turning water into wine. Every wedding you go to, they virtually read this verse, don't they? But they don't get the significance. This was no ordinary wedding. This was the Son of God revealing the last days on earth. This was the Son of God revealing what he and his Father and the Holy Spirit are preparing for eternity. A massive banquet, a glorious place. No wonder, who wants to go to hell when you can be in heaven? You know, who wants to be anywhere else but where the God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, is preparing? So he says, I revealed his glory. You know, when you have another glass of wine, if you drink wine and if you don't drink wine, whatever's nearest to it. Just think, Jesus revealed his glory. The kingdom came (laughs) 
as gallons of beautiful, brilliant wine as Isaiah saw it. <laughs> not cloudy, not rubbish, was uh, prepared. It's going to be choice fruit, food. It's going to be the best food, it says in that Isaiah uh, passage. And, you know, Jesus told that story, didn't he? That parable about the uh, boy who took a third of his dad's wealth and went off with it and uh, basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything else to do with you. And he took that money and he said it squandered it on rubbish, on prostitutes, on high living. And in the end, ended up feeding pigs because he basically just squandered the whole of his inheritance uh, in a very short space of time. And then you get this brilliant bit of the story where he's coming back to his father and his father every day, it says in the parable, is walking out of the village back past every household who basically thought, you were a very important man in this village. Now you're not important at all because your son has wished you as dead. And he would be passing every house and they would be looking at him and think, poor man, poor man. If you only had a proper son. <laughs> That's what they're saying every day. But he didn't mind. He went to the edge of the village every day and looked. And there, right in the horizon, he saw this boy coming towards him. And in the end, knew it was the person he had been looking for day after day. And so he picked up his robes, whoops, and can you get that? Picked up his robes and ran, legged it to his son and uh, just told his son, you know, you're okay. <laughs> his son's saying, look, I'm a real rotten, horrible sinner. And he's saying, no, you're not. You're back. I love you. I'm putting a ring on your finger. I'm putting every clothes on you. And it says this, but the father said to his son, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet and kill the calf. We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. He's basically saying, look, a sinner's come back and the most important thing he needs is rings, clothes, and a great celebration feast. A picture of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is coming. In wine, brilliant, lovely, great, mature wine. A fatter cow that's been basically readied for the next feast. For some said, this son of mine was dead, but now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, Isaiah had this great dream picture, vision of the last days when death will be swallowed up in victory. And there the Lord of glory will be preparing this great banquet. You know, there'll be some great company there. You will be there. <laughs> I'll be there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I will be there, not maybe. <laughs> it was the great company, I merely said maybe. Ma but Matthew eight eleven says this, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What at? At the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what? When you go to a wedding sometimes, one of the things you first look at is, who am I sitting with? Have you noticed that? And your heart either sinks, no, you're not supposed to say this, but your heart either sinks or is quite excited, you, you know? You think, I've got an hour or two of, <laughs> of this table, okay? 
Maybe I shouldn't say that, but... <laughs> oh, I'm the only sinner amongst us, but... But you know what? Wouldn't it be great to be on a table with Abraham? <laughs> I got plenty of questions. Isaac, Jacob, got plenty of questions for Jacob. Just plenty. <laughs> so basically what the, what the guy's saying is there is that, you know, it's going to be a fabulous, fabulous banquet with some great people. You know, that song that uh, Susie taught us, it's great because take some Charles Wesley words actually and puts them into another words have you noticed that some of the kind of refrains um oh for a thousand tongues that sort of thing and no condemnation and all those words that are coming out of and then puts them into a new idiom and with some new words into a new context that's what it's going to be like on this great banquet it's going to be people of history countless people heroes of ours people who we don't even know will get introduced to so food, wine, choice company. It's going to be a great day. Not going to be a boring table <laughs> on this great day of Lamb. So Jesus, as he's moving around the earth, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And um, then he gets accused, you know, as he's doing all these miracles and all this eating and drinking, says in Luke seven thirty-four, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He did it so much, he was accused of being drunk. He was accused of eating and being a glutton. I, you know, I tried to protect myself a little bit more than that, wouldn't you? <laughs> But somehow the kingdom of God was this extravagant feast that was coming, and that's what he was doing. And, uh, you know, when he, he, he came and ate with them, he was saying this. He was saying that I'm bringing my peace to you. That's exactly what it was like in those days. He said, look, I trust you. You know, when Zacchaeus was up that sycamore, whatever old tree it was, and looking down, scared stiff, but his heart pounding because he wanted to see the Lord of glory. I think he wanted to talk to the Lord of glory, but had no clue how to get close. And the closest he could get was a tree and looking through it. And there's Jesus walking and looks up, and there, eyeball to eyeball, is one of the hate, most hated men in Jericho society. A robber, a thief, didn't care who he ripped off. The Jews hated him because they thought now that though he was born a Jew, he had now moved over to the other side. He was now uh, a traitor with the Romans. So he had given up almost his Jewish inheritance and now become on the side of the Romans. That's how they saw him. That's why he was actually up a tree and not in the crowd. They'd have stabbed him if he'd been in the crowd or somebody at the least booted him. Um, and then Jesus looks up. The first words he said is, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go home and eat with you. You know, that's not the first words I thought Jesus would say to somebody. <laughs> you know what? 
that was the most unbelievable words that Zacchaeus could hear. You see, because, as I said, in those, that society, that meant actually, Zacchaeus, you are not anymore on the side of the horrible Romans. You're actually a true son of the living God. You see, you don't go and eat with the wrong people. You don't go and eat with people who are sinners, who are, uh, have turned away from God. You offer it. So Jesus is offering peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. It's kind of strange in our society a little bit because we don't think of it that way, do we? We think when we invite somebody around, it's kind of a meal, it's sociable, it's hospitable, it's friendship, but deeply in the root of biblical uh, Mediterranean society there was that you eat, and as you eat, you're offering them much more than bread, much more than wine, much more than food. You're offering them brotherhood. You're saying, actually, you're okay. I would say this. In our society, it's still there, but underneath. I, um, I go dog walking. Um, in the morning, I've got some friends now who I've met. It's funny, you know their name. You know their dogs' names before you know their names. It's quite bizarre. So someone told me that would happen. It's absolutely true because you hear them calling their dogs, and after a, after a year of being with them, you kind of think I better learn their names. It's a bit embarrassing. They say, so you have to introduce yourself. It's a kind of strange world, but that's the dog walkers for you. But I, I thought, I'm going to invite them around. We're going to have a dog walker's Christmas meal. Because they're often hearing me talk about my, because uh, I like cooking for my wife and stuff. And, and they, one of them said once, why don't you cook for us? It was a bit of a throwaway. So last, last week I said, I want to cook a great bit of beef or lamb, whatever you want. I want you to bring your spouses and uh, we're going to have a party. We're having a dog walker's party. And uh, one of them immediately says yes. Another one says, I just realized he wasn't quite sure whether his part, I'm not sure, you know. So he, 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 kind of, he said, I'll let you know. So he came back the next day. He said, he said this. He said, I went back and I said to my partner, uh, what you'd offer. She said, what a wonderful thing. And you could see his face. Honestly, just, when is it? Give me, and then we're going to walk there. So it's just exciting. And I just realized, you know, it's still in our society. That actually, there's something about brotherhood, sisterhood, peace, honor. You know? Can you get hold of what Jesus is doing here? It's the gospel. <laughs> it's the kingdom of God coming to a dog walker's society. <laughs> Honestly, it is. I have some lovely Asian neighbors and across the road and um, every time they celebrate, so my wife's always giving them, or say always when there's kind of a new baby or something, she'll give a little present. And I just know that means I get curries. And <laughs> it's true, you know, and we had a, because that's what happens, they, they, they celebrate the first and she doesn't eat spicy food, I do a lot. And so just, you just get it. And so... And then we had a little envelope come through, and it was for another neighbor, and they wanted us to sign for it, you know, because they weren't in. Mary said, you, you realize that's another curry. <laughs> 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 but it's just a great, you know, it's a great thing, because the society, they understand that actually food is part of saying thank you. It's part of saying you're my friend. It's sort of saying you're part of our community. It's the kingdom of God. It's an expression of it. N.T. Wright says this. He said that most writers now agree 
sort of picture of anti right maybe. It says, most right, writers, anti right basically is Anglican bishop. He's actually, I think he's a bishop anyway, he's a, but he's a, a fabulous theologian and uh, it's great to read his books. He says this, most writers now agree that eating with sinners was one of the most characteristic and striking marks of Jesus' regular activity. Jesus was, as it were, celebrating the messianic banquet, that's the future banquet, and doing it with all the wrong people. Isn't that a fabulous, fabulous statement? So that's anti rice got a hold of it. <laughs> Every time Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, normal folk, he was celebrating the messianic banquet, the kingdom of God. <laughs> and he was doing it with all the wrong people. Let's start doing it with all the wrong people, shall we? Shall we start... Eating and drinking with all the wrong people. So let me just quickly now do two things. Just look a couple of things in the early church and then some instructions to help us, okay? Because in the early church, you know, they got a hold of this in Acts 2. One of the first things they did is they broke bread together and ate uh, with great and glad hearts. It was part of that new community. It was written in there. You know, they prayed, they worshipped, they ate. The kingdom of God is all about all of those things. It's interesting that the qualification of a leader <laughs> in, Tim, in Titus, it's interesting, when you think of a qualification of a leader, you would definitely think they probably need to be married to one partner. You probably think that they need to be here <laughs> above reproach. But tucked in there, it says this, that they, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. It's amazing, tucked in there. You wouldn't have thought that, would you? But you see, you can't be a leader if you can't bring the kingdom of God on earth. And if you can't be hospitable, (laughs) then basically you're missing out on such a massive part of the kingdom of God. It's tucked in there. I think, you know, I always think what the Bible says elevate something that we... You know, you only turn up if there's food. No, I want an expression of the kingdom. <laughs> That's what I want to turn up for. And uh, I like it as well, because, you know, because if it's the kingdom, we must like it. Do you understand? It's like, it's a bit of a kind of oxymoron to think you've got to go somewhere where it's not nice, because that's an expression of Christianity. That's just ridiculous. Okay? Sorry, I'm just a little passionate. Are you? Do you understand? Uh, but I hope I'm communicating. And Hebrews 13, it says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some of you have entertained angels and don't know it. <laughs> you can't get better than that, can you? That's a kind of quote really back from uh, Abraham, who basically entertained two strangers, and there were angels coming to rescue his nephew Lot. And... Uh, <laughs> Do you want to entertain an angel? Let's be hospitable to people we don't know. So let's just wrap this up because there's a number of um, instructions in the Bible about being hospitable. So let me just go through them. First instruction, and there are probably others as well. Luke 10, when Jesus is sending his disciples out, he says this in Luke 10, 7, in that house that welcomes you in, eat and drink whatever they give you. That is a massive statement for Western society. 
where we're fundamentally fussy, picky eaters. I'm going to qualify this statement, but I don't want to qualify it now, okay? I want to make the full force of it come home. <laughs> Eat what's put in front of you, <laughs> okay? Big statement, but you see, you're basically saying you're my brother, you're my sister, and if you don't eat what you put in front of you, you're really st- struggle, making them struggle. Okay? That's why Jesus said it. There it, it was no ifs or but with this with Jesus when he sent his 12 out. And he said, I'm not giving you any money, so you'll have to eat what's put in front of you because that's how you're going to live. Do you that was part of it as well. Are you with me? Okay. I'll qualify this at my last statement. But please, I want, you to hit, I want it to really come home. 1 Peter 4, 9, which I find a really interesting verse, says this, offer hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> this, this was given to a hospitable society. I know this, that it is costly to be hospitable, not only in money, but time. It's just a energy sometimes. It is easy to grumble. And uh, there's a statement here. Don't grumble. <laughs> find God. Find grace. It's the kingdom of God at hand. And so, um, just uh, a, a straight thing there. Third thing, because uh, I've just got to whip through these in a few minutes. Care for your guests. When Jesus was basically at Simon, a Pharisee's house, um, a woman came in and broke her some perfume and kissed him and on his feet and everything. And Simon's getting really upset about this. And Jesus said this, do you see this woman? I entered this house and he didn't give me any water for my feet, but she she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Sometimes we can be hospitable and make more uh, of an event of the food than the people. In the end, people matter. You've got to look after them. They're there. They're there. They're our guests. We care for them. She's making a big statement here. It's a bit interesting you didn't give me a kiss. I travel all over the world. Have you ever, uh, uh, you know, right-handed fellowship is kind of the English way of doing it, and a hug is the kind of the charismatic way probably. In the, but have you ever been, a, if you, when you travel the world and people kiss you on the cheek and it's one, two, or three, and you don't know which one, I tell you, I... <laughs> I have been in many embarrassing situations where, you know, you end up all over the shop, okay? <laughs> You're second-guessing what is the culture, okay? Anyway, that's their culture there, okay? Look after the poor. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 22, that basically when they came together to eat, the people who were wealthy were the first in the queue, getting the first wine, the first food. And the poor people who were a bit more nervous, but they were at the back, and when they got to the to the place for the food, and there was none left. And Paul, I haven't got time to read it, but basically he says this, when you come together, <laughs> those who have something, stay back, my paraphrase of it. Let the poor eat first. He says, haven't you got homes where you can eat and drink? He said, look after the poor. You know, we must look after the poor. We must be, we must be hospitable to the poor. We must help them to be hospitable. We must go over, it's, a, it's a, an, an injunction for us. And then, uh, just finally, I say, I've, I'm just conscious of time here, just want to unpack these, but just giving you the statements and then you can unpack them at your leisure. We need to be gracious to one another. 
because I made this big statement at the very beginning, eat whatever's put in front of you. Um, I, I know sometimes if you can take this and then you can be pretty arrogant if you are very good at eating everything. <laughs> okay? And I think that's stuff I can eat most things. So it's, it's almost easy for me to say that statement, you know, because I enjoy that. I know for a number of people, whether it's for religious, health, uh, environment, numbers of reasons, you know, that they struggle to eat everything, maybe just taste and texture. And I said, I don't want to nullify the first one, okay, because I just want that to come. But actually, Paul said this, accept him or who, her whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the person who does not eat everything must not condemn the person who does. There's a grace of our Lord Jesus Christ at work in this. There's, there's a family, there's a community. And so I want to kind of hold those two things in tension and uh, eat everything. <laughs> but don't look down on anybody who doesn't eat everything. Isn't that that's the church of Jesus Christ. I want to read one thing for you as a prayer over you. Can you stand? Close your eyes and then. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past culture and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, and from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. Although many, we might even say most, strangers in this world, we become easily victim of fearful hostility. It is possible for men and women and obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. The movement from hostility to hospitality is hard and full of difficulties. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive Aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do them harm. But still, our vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest, to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. God bless you. Amen.